Happy Tuesday. Welcome to Adam versus the Man. Ant Ralston joins us, I think, from the ant farm or the oil field. I didn't notice where he was. I'm today. not sure. I'm not sure. Jim Freedom and the executive producer, chair, CEO, Joey Lee, Jim, Mary Jane in studio with us. We have Adam Edinger joining us. Eidinger. 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 I always said Edinger, even like back in the day. We were friends like back in the day when he was doing anti-war stuff when I was living in D.C. Adam Eidinger joins us. Joey knows better. Knows him from a lot of uh, anti-drug war activism. That's really what we should call it. Anti-drug war activism. Is that, is that the best term? We are all I was just fighting like, drug war. Because it's, it's involuntarily, it's hard to be against that. Oh no, I'm pro drug war. <laughs> like, you know, like no, really, because uh, yeah, you say I'm an anti war activist, or I'm a veteran anti war activist. Right? There's a certain righteousness with that, you know. But like, what do you call cannabis? We call it like cannabis activism, pro cannabis activism, and that's part of it. Because a big part of it is is actually pro cannabis, like. Uh, Correcting the market for undervaluing cannabis due to prohibition. D. Vincent W. knew him in 2015. Yeah, that's right. Daryl, Daryl Vincent W. Uh, I know from DC. Daryl, you're still in DC, right? Adam Eidinger was also doing joints for jabs recently. Yeah, we're going to talk about that too. And uh, join us, I think, next week. Exciting guest, uh, Mike Adams, finally been trying to get my old friend from naturalnews.com on for quite a while now. Uh, we have him scheduled, right? Confirmed for next week. Waiting for a final confirmation. Final confirmation. But that's happening. Uh, and then who do we have this Friday? We have two special interviews Friday. We have Bethany Hill from We Are the 74, Mississippi. Anti-drug war activism. Uh, let's see, Kevin Claypool on YouTube comments. Forget COVID mandates. They got what they needed from all that bullshit. Climate mandates are next, and it never ends. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. That's like our... backstage or something. Uh, well, yeah, that's what Ant and I were just talking about. And I was like, we don't have... He, he wants to talk about climate change and, and, and being in the oil industry. I think he might have some, insight. some insight to that. But regardless, we were going to have a little bit of a discussion before we get into our big natural news. Uh, dot com headline today about uh, about the, the pushing of climate change and and how that connects to COVID and, you, and and again I think what we're seeing is an era of the cons I mean it's almost like this era of humanity is the the conspiracy of conspiracy ages right and recently I've been referring for the last few weeks since I found this out you know I've been referring to the BlackRock slash Vanguard conspiracy of conspiracies that like I still don't think there's there's one room where they're plotting COVID you know like that's silly but you know, well, there's a Simpsons scene about that from like what 2005 Simpsons did it, <laughs> Simpsons did it. Uh, but they, <laughs> the, the BlackRock and Vanguard holding companies own together over half the media and half a big pharma and to what extent do you think there is uh, a sort of conspiracy of conspiracies around the issue of climate change and pollution and environmentalism and everything that's tied up with that and, and, and the energy industry, right? And what does our, it, it, 
again, like like one of the fun things that I love doing with the show is going, all right, everybody, let's put ourselves in in the shoes of our enemies. And aside from like how they were abused as children by their crazy cult devil worshiping parents, super class, whatever Luciferians, I, lizard people, you know, all that eating gold plated babies. Um, uh, yeah, the show is just parody. Remember, Reptilian. uh, reptilians. So there's uh, put yourself there's there's value to like you know put yourself in the shoes of the enemy from a tactical perspective. What other what other member like and some people some refer to the uh, what I call the general super class uh, in a way that I think is a different term because it, it's a different distinction. The predator class, right? Most members of the super class which I define as the several thousand most powerful people on the planet, right? And that's, that's very subjective. I wouldn't recognize that. I'm not being paranoid, but they, they, like by definition, my definition of the superclass exists. <laughs> like the several, there, there's, there's someone who's, it might be subjective though, you know, who's the most powerful, right? Whatever. But most of them, 90 plus percent, you could say are predator class. Right. And they're predator class people who might not be super class, but are aspiring super class people who want that those obscene amounts of wealth and power. There's some people in the super class who have just inherited it, inherited it, 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 it and been and, and are relatively benign, you know, or uh, I mean, it's hard to it's hard to say that someone like, you know, Musk or Bezos or Branson are really benign when they are the supreme profiteers of corporatism. They haven't used any of their massive wealth and power to. Uh, addressing any of the world's bigger problems or systemic issues with government or corporatism or hunger or poverty or things like that, right? Not that I don't appreciate them and, and, and sort of love them in their own way. And especially, you know, I'm, as I'm a fan of Elon Musk sitting here waiting for my Starlink <laughs> going, you know, that someone is doing what he's doing, pushing that technology forward, is pushing humanity forward, and that's good. But he's still... You know, to some degree, a greedy super. Well, I, I don't know. You, you, and he would make the case. Well, maybe his, his actual liquid wealth is is insignificant. You know, it's all invested. Uh, D. Vincent W. Wake and bake mm. every day. We'll smoke at the end of the show. My voice is still still harsh. I'm smoking. Joey's smoking. I'm getting secondhand smoke in studio. That makes you feel better. So, if you put yourself in the shoes of everybody who's in that predator class what are they trying to do or what have they been trying to do that they now have the opportunity to do and i think oh shit war with iran right how long has the american predator class so to speak been trying to get war with iran going a long time since the coup since Mossadegh. Can we take it back? Since like, was it the CIA intervention in 1971, right? Or the powers um, that be called themselves America. <laughs> there's Afghanistan now. There's the withdrawal happening. We're going to cover that today. But it's, you know, with the excuse of, of more intervention. And it's uh, interesting how they're spinning that with the propaganda now. And then you go, oh, climate change. Some of this, I, I've skipped a lot of stories recently about uh, pending legislation where you go, that's on the, but I'm like, now I need to mention it. And I'm thinking in, in, you know, 
legislation in Congress. One of the stories we are going to cover today in the stack is about Bitcoin regulation, that they're stepping up Bitcoin regulation with this. Um, well, we'll get to the details. One of the big sort of omnibus bills going through the Senate. And then there's, uh, I think it's the same bill actually has uh, baked into it standards for new vehicles requiring breathalyzers and mileage tracking for the potential of having a per mileage driven tax they're just ex- and i i don't cover a lot of those things that are like test balloons of government where they just send it out to see what the response is to try to gauge what they can get away with because I, I feel like a lot of those like no i'll fucking wait till you do it before I cover, because there's enough shit that you're doing now. I don't need my aunts to be scared about stuff that might be happening, because there's always a, a, a cornucopia of bullshit that they want you to believe is on the horizon. But now, uh, I mean, it's worth pointing out, there, there are a handful of, of disturbing things like that. And, you know, one that we did cover yesterday as part of the, you know, COVID block catching up on Monday was the eviction crisis. And maybe calling it the eviction crisis is is the wrong thing and they're they're like i saw tucker carlson freaking out about this that oh my god this is them destroying private property rights in america remember we covered the the fox story like they're now targeting private property rights and it's like <laughs> now so you didn't give a fuck about your body not being private property under the drug war but now that it's your how your second home it's your rental property now you're gonna bitch oh fuck you no it's it's been a problem yeah matt baxley good morning on youtube uh odyssey do we have any odyssey comments yet this one no, do not do not our three loyal daily odyssey listeners are uh, sleeping today maybe oh. All right. okay. Everybody needs a break. Well, needs a break. Jim, give us the producer notes, and then we'll get Ant up here to talk about the global warming conspiracy. Global warming. That was, a, that was a predictive comment that commenter made. It's like they knew we were going to bring up climate change today. Whoa. I can wiggle my top knot. <laughs> Learn something new. I'm not, I'm not sure how I feel I can about that. Wag my tail. You can wag your tail. There you go. That. If my if my top knot is tied tight enough, I can wiggle it by moving my facial muscles and my eyebrows. I literally just discovered that as you were talking, and now I'm like, now I can wiggle my tail. I need to. I need to really need to grow this thing up. All right, Jim, funny. give us the producer. Okay, no, no. all right, go backstage and wag your tail for a little bit while I talk about t.me forward slash Adam versus Samantha public telegram channel. Everyone is welcome to. We talk about it every single day because we want as many people in there as possible. So t.me forward slash Adam versus Samantha. If you're on telegram, you should definitely be connected to that uh, page. Patreon.com forward slash Adam versus Samantha. That's where you can go to support the show. We got one, five, ten, even $50 a month for a package. $10 a month to get you access to the private producers club, which is always a good time. We share links with each other, talk a little bit of shit. The 24 hour conversation, you basically have Adam at text message availability with the private producers club. So definitely get yourself connected there. At, uh, Instagram at the garden of freedom is where you can see all kinds of pictures and videos of beautiful life up there in Gardenia. Uh, when it rains, when it snows, they got so much pictures here. You can scroll all the way through the last year 
and see life in Gardenia all throughout. So it's definitely a beautiful thing to check out. Instagram at the Garden of Freedom. Next, we go to homefrontbattlebuddies.com, the best veterans nonprofit organization that's bringing veterans together from all over the country and indeed the world, if that's where they are. And uh, all of your donations at homefrontbattlebuddies.com is uh, theft deductible. So definitely take advantage of that aspect. Next, we talk about crypto6.com. This is the Bitcoin church that I'm sure you've heard about being raided up in Keene, New Hampshire. You can donate cryptocurrencies that you see on the screen here through these QR codes to their different legal funds, or you can write to Mr. Nobody who's still sitting in a cage due to this uh, and let them know you're thinking about them and that you hope everything's okay. Next, we go to gogreenenergyonline.com. Uh, the do-it-yourselfers website to educate yourself on everything that has to do with solar power, micro wind power, zero energy homes. If you want to get off grid, you can do so anywhere and you can educate yourself on how to do it yourself at gogreenenergyonline.com. That's all I got today. Hope you all enjoy the show. Have a great day. All right. We'll get Ant up here and, and Jim, if you can pull up the NPR story from the Producers Club, please. A major report warns climate change is accelerating and humans must cut emissions now. What, Ant, what is this fear-mongering crap you're bringing us? Good morning, by the way. Uh, good morning. Yeah, here in the in the old patch this morning. Um, no, I was uh, I was driving around and I don't listen to NPR as much as I used to, but I do like when they play like their broke music, classical music, and so like I I've listen through the news articles to wait for my for my classical music but i was well, listening well, I, to this I, I i was just i we just did a quick road trip in california and i had a vehicle where the only thing that was practical for me to listen to on the car was radio and i was like you know what i'm gonna take this opportunity to listen to npr and, you know driving down the 405 california cliche right carrie espinoza hit the like button guys it feels good yeah I don't, I don't want to play those YouTube games, but yeah, it does feel good. So, um, no, it, it, but, and so like I, I compare NPR intellectually to Michael Moore documentarian, you know, Fahrenheit nine 11. Um, what, what else has he done? There's a lot of other good stuff, to see, but and, and a lot of stuff that libertarians would agree with in, in, a, right. in a lot of points that he makes, even though he's a liberal, he's more of a green party strain of liberal right sure. and, and maybe that's not true of npr but his documentaries even the ones that i i really disagree with they're interesting they wake it's up. brain candy it's well presented information in a relatively efficient and stimulating way and so like i enjoy npr for that i think they have a certain standard of intellectual integrity and journalistic integrity that they're at least Except when they're just going repeating government stuff, they're a reasonably reliable source of information. You know, they check their sources. Yeah, yeah no, I agree with that. And like I said, I, I I used to listen to NPR a lot. I just haven't really had a whole lot of time for it. And they've I've, I've watched them progress slightly more and more left. But like you said, as far as if you're going to listen to something that maybe leans a little bit left, they're at least they have integrity about it. They're not if they have their views. It's clear their views, but they're not like that. They're not CNN. You know, they're not trying to change everything to make it something that it's not. So that that, that is with NPR. Well, listening, I like four different little blocks that they had. All of them had to do with this legislation or the, the climate change warning that they had. 
Um, and they're focusing a lot of their attention on automobiles, which I think is the wrong place to focus it. And, you know, uh, mainly United States automobiles. Um, the, the, our military, we've dropped 326,000 bombs since 2001. And you can't tell me that that's not contributing to their so-called climate. 326,000. How many tons of TNT did we explode and fires did we start doing that? It's not the consumer that is the primary cause of climate change, in my opinion. It well, is. Even if you want to look at internal combustion engine pollution, it's the military is the single the U.S. military is the single largest institutional polluter in the entire world. Exactly. That that now is exactly my point. Um, military vehicles don't have to follow emission standards. They then they don't. They're, you know, uh, oh, it's a Humvee get like four miles to the gallon. I mean, give me a break, you know, but they don't have to follow cafe standards like everybody else does with the invention of the modern catalytic converters and the diesel uh, uh, exhaust systems on diesel trucks, you know, the, where they recycle the exhaust and gets all the most of the turbo pollutants diesel. out of it. There are, that's not the turbo, that's something else. Yeah, well, even the turbo, it recycles exhaust and increases efficiency right. right and so that's what i was thinking is that standard now on diesel engines it most yeah there's you can't really get a diesel without a turbo now and it's just the way it is but they have exhaust filters in them that's kind of like a catalytic converter but a little bit different and they inject urea which is basically concentrated bull urine directly into the injectors which are just something I don't, I'm not exactly how sure all that works. I, I drive Wait, a diesel. That's not know. where they get the urea for this purpose, is it? They don't actually get what? There's no like industrial chemical mining, some other way to get urea. They take it from bulpis. <laughs> You're fucking with me. No, like, how they make Red Bull. No, that's not how they make Red Bull. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> She's fucking with us. Okay. No, uh, but um. But yeah, wow. so they have all these standards that that the consumer has to follow by, but they don't take into consideration our U.S. military, which is the largest polluter, and they don't, it, you know, countries like China and India, they're not part of this Paris Climate Accord. Their their pollution levels or their industries are a thousand times what ours would ever have been, and because all our production, you know, everything's made in China now, all their factories in China, we can outsource to China and let them take the the heat for making pollution. But we're the consumer, so we're the ones that are actually buying the product that they're creating. So there's a lot of other things going on. If you're going to look at climate change as a whole, then to blame the consumer, like oh, we need better fuel mileage on our cars. We need no, we what we need is a standard if you're going to do this a global standard where everybody agrees to the same set of rules not the people get fucked and the government can just keep doing government things you know uh obviously people know i work oil and gas so my jobs my job security is on the line but that's not even it i go work for tesla if i can make as much money and i probably could once they get the one of these other plants open up here in texas so i'm not really concerned about that so much but when you when you look at the amount of oil and gas that need to be refined in order for them to make their green energy, like their their windmills, when you set the windmills up, they're transported in by semi trucks, and they're over they're oversized, overweight. They can only run so many hours a day. They're using a ton of diesel. The fan blades are after ten years they have to be 
dismantled and they have to put new ones up and they're sitting in big recycling recycling plants are basically pits where the, they, there's so much pollution that we're creating to try to make this green energy and it's not sustainable if it was places like texas makes more wind energy more green energy than any state like uh, not per capita but more energy in general than any state and texas had a our big uh, power failure in that last wind or that last winter storm you know, if Texas can't do it and we make more energy than any other state, and w- including using natural gas energy, their their hopes are they're just dumb. They're, they're not going to work with the current technology that we have. And I don't disagree with moving towards that. But well, hold on, accelerated- I don't think it's I don't think it's in dispute that there's a lot of bullshit manipulation around this, regardless of what the right courses and what the threat is right i mean right i hope everybody's seen the documentary who killed the electric car if you haven't please go back and watch that uh fundamental understanding of how that technology uh has been killed and 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 pushed back on behalf of the energy and oil and gas industries and auto industry and the i mean man i i i almost feel like it's it's futile when you look back and say, well, they're, they're scaring us with something that's bullshit to do something to rip us off. Right. You know, nine 11 COVID climate change, every big government racket follows this pattern. But what, what's your take? Step back for a second. First, what's your take on climate change itself? So I think, that climate change is real to a point, but most of the studies, if you look at them, they start their their climate change from the end of the last ice age. So from the end of the last ice age, we've been gradually getting warmer. Well, without a control, there's no telling what would it have done without humans. You know, we had multiple ice ages where you could see multiple, like they say, it's the hottest has been in 10,000 years. What was 10,000 years ago? The last ice age. Right. So what was it before that ice age? It was a lot warmer. It's 20 degrees warmer on average than it is today with the greenhouse gases from, I guess, I don't, I don't know how the, the you know, volcanic activity and dinosaurs and, and whatnot. It was it was 20 degrees warmer before that ice age. So the, the Earth has a cycle where it warms and then it has a drastic cooling. We go to the Ice Age. We've had multiple Ice Ages. We haven't just had one Ice Age. We've had multiple Ice Ages. The Appalachian Mountains out east are a revelation to that, where all the, the mountaintops have been sheared off. And they said that originally they were probably taller than the Rocky Mountains, right? So our, our Earth is on a constant cycle of heating and cooling, heating and cooling. And without a control, you can extrapolate that some of what we're doing is definitely accelerating that. But... I don't think that at the end of the day, anything that we do is going to stop the earth from doing what the earth does, you know, and I, we could accelerate it and we could probably end our own demise. Like many other species before us have ended, but that's the circle of life. That's pretty close to my understanding. Climate change is real. It happens. It's a natural thing. Statistics are being grossly misrepresented in some ways that are pretty obvious and easy to see through and uh, the, the man this makes it sound a lot like covid right where well it's a real thing but it's not what they're saying you know and what's what's 
sad about this is, is not just that it creates this greater victimization of people through the manipulation of society, the serving of the super class, the, the, the uh, barons and titans of the industries, so to speak, but that if there's a real thing that we should be paying attention to in, in pollution and uh, you know being in good environmental stewards, we're screwing it up by trying to redirect this massive use of energy on a social you know, society-wide scale as opposed to let's look at the bigger problems. Let's stop the military pollution. Let's stop the explosives pollution. Let's stop the nuclear weapons testing pollution. Let's exactly. let's clean up the messes in the Superfund sites that are created by not individuals using energy to have a good life, but by major corporations using government to escape accountability. Let's clean up the trash islands in the ocean. Let's do something about the cities with the pockets of smog, as opposed to let's just, and and, and this is, there's where where they take advantage, I think is especially with the overlap, because what do people see cities with smog? And they go, well, yeah, we need to do something about this. And so, well, fuck, you shouldn't have been living in cities like this in the first place, right? Yeah, exactly. The Earth's been overpopulated for a long time, anyways. That uh, you know, the what resources we have, we're going through them way faster than than we have resources for. So having a renewable source of any anything right now would be beneficial, but I think that'll end our demise a lot faster than climate change. I think we're going to end our demise because we're out of resources. We're out of food. Our population becomes too big that we can't sustain ourselves. And now we're looking at, um, uh, an indecent proposal, uh, the book that, you know, with the, the yeah. Irish potato famine and they're suggesting eating children and people in order to supplement is a satire, uh, piece of literature called indecent proposal. So I, I right. think that, I mean, that's what we're looking at, you know, is a, is in a thousand years having a race full of cannibals where we just eat whoever we see because there's no, no, <laughs> no. I reject your fear mongering narrative there. And because I, I gave you a thousand like, years, I gave you a thousand no, years. No, no, no. Okay. So I want to break this. No, because humanity marches forward. We've oh, had, nice. we have had these rackets in the past. We have survived. We have moved on. It's sort of like humanity is on this great dance forward, this great progress from the caves to where we are today to the to the stars and along the way there's a pathological class of human beings that can be very smart and powerful and dangerous and impose these large scale rackets that can slow us down but are they going to lead to the end of energy no not when we like are, are, with today's level of are they going to lead even to mass starvation maybe today maybe in the next couple decades, but even their ability to do that today compared to when things were so much more delicate, you know, we have, how many more people have boxes of MREs and freezers of frozen food and the ability to at least survive for a while, you know, and the awareness of how to garden and create, you know, without having to depend on the, fragility of systems in the past and i get that there's more fragileness but the security of our ability to to house and clothe and feed ourselves i think is greater than ever before 
And I know that it th- can be argued subjectively either way, but let's break this down then to the, to this climate change. I mean, uh, you know, reading this article from NPR, uh, you know, they're saying that the uh, they they want to make this this front and center. You know, who's behind this? It, I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it was Elon Musk himself trying to go. No, look, this is re- you know why you need to give at least this is a small. It could be a diversion from Elon Musk that he spends uh, a, a few million dollars in 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 you know covert money to fund the right science or to you know twist the right levers to make these headlines occur, and then he doesn't even care about all this. It's just now when he goes to Congress and they grill him, you know, and and he goes, well, you need to keep giving government you know these government kickbacks to all these you know green energy initiatives, blah blah blah. He knows that he's more secure in getting his government subsidies, perhaps. Um, but where, like, where are they going with this? And 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 they say here, the science is clear: human-caused emissions of carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases are the primary driver of such changes. And here they're talking about uh, supercharged hurricanes and typhoons. Uh, and even there, it's like, I think we can. I think we can innovate our way out of, you know, rising sea levels and more intense storms. Um, but when they say that it's it's not too late, like who has an interest in this, Ant? Yeah, Carrie Espinosa on YouTube says, we are the slave class and the rich survive and prosper because of the worker ants. Climate change is just another way to ride in the private planes and blame us. I mean, and that's that's kind of... It's their, close. Their goal is not to blame us, Ant. Who, you know, key bono, who's, who profits from this? Well, it used to be, you know, people like Al Gore, you know, because he had all that money invested in the green energy back in, in the 90s, early 90s. And so when he's a politician and all of a sudden he's pushing green energy and, and everything back in the 90s and he directly benefited for from all of that with all his wind farms right. and everything. But then if you look at his house, his house uses enough power to, uh, to power like a small city of like 20,000 people. You know, so it's like, you know, do as I say, not as I do. You know, of course. And so but yeah, that's, not, um, that's not who benefits. I mean, think let's think bigger here, right? I mean, it's it's people like Elon Musk is going to benefit. He happens to be just about the world's richest man. Second, third. I think he's the worst. I think he's the richest right now. Yeah, I think they're all back and forth right there at the top. So, um, he's going to benefit from this, isn't he? Any anybody that has anybody that's ultra wealthy that has the money to invest in in any of these legislations is going to benefit. I mean, the rich keep getting richer and the poor keep getting poorer. I it mean, could be a sort of transitional period where the, the people who, I mean, it's, maybe, maybe I'm wrong to think about this as competing industries so much as the super class jumping from industry to industry, always trying to keep their institutions entrenched. And maybe at this point they're going, you know what? Time to say fuck fossil fuels. We're cutting it loose. We're moving to this. So it's going to be the same people, right? It's yeah. just the new racket. I found a, a website that shows, um, like, has a list of like every every 
uh, public owned company and then it shows who owns how much of each company and you could pull like, people's names up. you'd be surprised all these green energy people that own tons and tons of stock in oil companies and you're like really it's like you're pushing green energy but you own this and the, the reason it, it's just a way of how they move their money around they they can make a uh, you want to get this one you want me to go ahead so jacob slept Bensky, uh, the data on YouTube, uh, the data on global average temperature has been adjusted over time to create a hockey stick or Willian. Uh, the data is out there. They just juxtapositioned different data sets. Yeah. No, it just bolsters the point you made earlier, Ant, but I want to go back to this who benefits thing because what you just sort of made me realize is that it, it, the people who are holding those uh, assets who are holding assets both in alternative energy and in traditional oil and gas, you know, say they're advocating for green. You said, how is it that you're advocating for green energy, right? You think about who who this is. This is like the Black Rocks and the Vanguards, you know, and maybe it's not those two because those are the two that dominate big pharma and and mainstream media, and it might be a big sort of locus of the conspiracy of conspiracies that is COVID. But there are similar large holding groups where this comes down to you know a dozen dudes in a boardroom right and in the case of those who are advocating for green energy well what are they actually advocating for government privileged corporate oligopolies yeah that's that's what's the underlying code when they're advocating for the oil and gas sector, they're not advocating for freedom in oil and gas. They're not advocating for competition in oil and gas or in automotive or anything like that. What are they advocating for? Government-granted oligopoly corporate privileges. That's that's what, and, and that's what they're fighting to maintain. And maybe if we, we just acknowledge that, Okay, well, that that sucks. That's the economic reality of the world we live in. It's a good thing that it's transitioning from oil and gas to green energy, at least, to some degree, because it's going to be better for the world, even if they're using this excuse and they're maintaining that control, right? It's not going to be, hey, everybody gets to 3D print their own solar-powered car in their in their garage. It's, well, you got to buy it from Tesla. Right. Well, you know, that, that's the thing. I mean, it when when you transfer that, like, uh, I almost don't think that politicians should have the ability to own stock because they can go on there on TV and they can go, hey, this is this is bad, blah, blah, blah. Right. That stock drops. Then they go buy that stock. And a week later, that stock's back up and then they sell it and then they made 60 million dollars. Yeah, but they and can control, they can I'm sorry. I know I hate those kinds of they shouldn't be allowed to do those lying, murderous, thieving criminals <laughs> shouldn't allowed to be murderous, thieving, lying criminals in this one specific way that I've identified that pisses me off. Well, like, there, there, there's on, a lot of different ways, but I don't I don't to me, it's really sketchy to be able to control a large amounts of a corporation and be and political party um, whenever Dick Cheney was. Uh, vice president he actually uh was the ceo of halliburton he actually right. resigned from halliburton because of that that whole that cliche like you don't want to be part of you know big oil and, and be there um 
when Donald Trump supposedly did the same thing and he, he resigned from his Trump industries or whatever. So there's at least some precedent for people trying to back out of that, at least publicly, but they're still behind the scenes doing the same thing. Donald Trump was still making tons of money, even though he wasn't officially on the books, you know, right. If they did something like that, it would be bullshit appeasement. And they would still find a way to make money on the the same. And they find a way to make money from this. You know, well, look at Elon Musk. Elon Musk tweets anything and his stock rockets, you know, or if you tweet yeah. something about somebody else's company, if it's negative, their stock plummets. If he says something good about it, you know, he says something about Bitcoin, Bitcoin jumps up a hundred dollars. You know, he says something bad about Bitcoin, Bitcoin drops a thousand dollars. The, the, the following that people have of people that have a voice like this to me, it's just, it's baffling to me. Like I personally don't believe in the stock market at all. I think the whole thing is a racket the stock market in general. But I mean, I believe in if you're going to own a company like you, it, I don't believe in publicly owned companies like that unless it's a, a co-op. I believe I'm, in I co-ops. Would, I, I, I'm with you. And I would just, I think your characterization of the stock market deser- deserves refinement, uh, d- deserves more precise language. It's, it's not that the stock market itself is fundamentally a racket because it starts with a righteous, core of value in companies and trading companies and and there is that legitimacy to it but the inflation of it and the manipulation of it is definitely uh, criminal in in the way that it's deceptive and a fraud against most uh you know average americans with retirement accounts who are taken advantage of by the system or casual investors or amateur investors or people redditors who think that giving their money to robin hood to buy shares of a failing media company or something that's not going to exist because it's am fucking c movie theaters they're gonna they're sticking it to the man by giving the man their money yeah okay uh but yeah, yeah this you know if, if, if this is all that we have to look forward to uh then we don't have that much to fear right it, with with the the pushing of well, climate change is a big deal. Well, it's not the it's not the push for the climate change stuff that bothers me it is the the fact that they're going to use this kind of legislation to further impose themselves on the freedoms of everybody else it's just another stepping stone to how much of our freedoms can they take away because right now they want green cars they want electric cars but in 20 years they're not going to want anybody to have cars they're all going to be public transit right or you call you call the government and the government will come take you to work you know, you have to have approval to go and to travel and move because you don't want they don't want the extra pollution or the extra traffic or the extra whatever, because they're they're using a, the climate as a as a safety net. Like, oh, well, you know, if you obviously don't care about climate change, if you if you're willing to go drive your own car. So see, so and I, there, I think you're ignoring the bigger countervailing effect of technology. At what point do we all have our own solar-powered quadcopters? Not necessarily solar-powered on board, but we charge the batteries on the ground with solar, you know? Like, and and the, 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 the control of vehicles and the control of energy becomes irrelevant. You know, and, and, and I, I mean, I say this right now, I'm really frustrated with my solar power systems at home here because the, the, some of the equipment is not as reliable. The batteries, I think I killed my batteries. I need a new battery bank. <laughs> Um, they're just they're 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 aging at that like uh, falling off impractical. We need new batteries. We need to to put in our uh, 
our turbine. Uh, we need to, to install a bunch of stuff here and clean up. But it's like, shit, now I got to buy a battery bank. I want everybody to invest in solar for personal use because it's going to develop the industry and make shit cheaper and more reliable for me. A lot um, of places are making you get permits to even have solar. Like, I mean, like in big cities, you have to have permits to have solars, solar panels set up. You have to have permits. People still live in cities? Same thing for collecting rainwater. Or even backyard gardening, you can't do in a lot of places. It's the government has it locked up so that you can't be self-sufficient. That terrifies them. It does. And imagine like, how good it would be on the environment, though. All this, they're spending all this money to make the environment better. And if, if they would just let people be self-sufficient, imagine how good that would be on the see, environment. See, I remember I was trying to think of like a slogan that we could rally around that would be like "Lie Flat" movement in China. Or go Galt, for those of you who have read Atlas Shrugged. Maybe it's just hashtag leave Babylon. Yeah. I like you know, in, in, in every way that you can. Because I hear, like... Divorce I mean, I, I hear... Yeah, right. I hear these... No, just leave Babylon. Just leave... It's just simple. Leave Babylon. You're not married to Babylon. Just leave born married to Babylon and you have no choice. Uh, arranged marriage and you are no. forced into it. Yeah. No, totally. Okay. Okay. I'm not disagreeing with your analysis, just the effectiveness of your messaging. Uh, leave <laughs> Babylon, you know, quick, quick, like, like Ant is in the process of doing getting his, getting his money out of the energy sector to have his, his own little nest egg to, to develop the ant farm, to be self-sustaining, to be able to find righteous work. And I, I, I'm excited to see what comes out of this because we are on the verge of so much more self-sufficient technology. I was going to read the last three paragraphs of this article about the U.S. promise to cut greenhouse gas emissions in half this decade. And, you know, I, it's almost like I don't care that this is. So there's one quote from. Uh, Jane Lubchenko, the Deputy Director for Climate and Environment, White House Office of Science and Technology Policy. This report is telling us we need to be ambitious. We probably need to be even more so. So they have, they're, they're creating the excuse, but it's not going to be enough for them to win the political fight. And as an example, our first news story on the stack today, I want to connect this to COVID, right? And sort of the buy into the fear that's necessary. Naturalnews.com survey. 53% of unvaccinated Americans fear COVID-19s are more dangerous than the virus itself. And can articulate that in a survey. Yeah. So that's that, that's maybe only a quarter of the population might be more, depending on how they're manipulating the vaccine numbers. But let's get into this real quick. There's a very important reason that financial incentives and media bullying aren't going to be enough to convince some Americans to get the COVID-19 vaccine. Many people are legitimately afraid that the vaccine poses a higher risk than contracting the virus itself, particularly among healthy individuals. Now, part of this is like, wait, among healthy individuals? Who's healthy? It's not by dumb luck, usually, that people are healthy. Luck, not to deny the role of luck, but who's healthy? People who choose to be healthy. People who eat right exercise, care about their health, pay attention to their bodies, listen to their bodies, and think for themselves. And it's kind of nice to see this 
biased inclination of mine borne out in numbers here, where we saw the uh, the meme pretty early on, like a comic in this pandemic pretty early on, of uh, someone in a Walmart scooter, like really disgusting, obese woman with, you know, yeah. flaps <laughs> hanging off the sides of her. Yeah. Uh, of her yeah of her her walmart shopping scooter and she's got mcdonald's and she's sipping on a soda wearing on a wearing her mask yeah and there's this hot cute young fit chick next to her you know looking at her front like what you know and and she's going you know you got to wear a mask and wear a vaccine to protect my health (laughs) suddenly yeah okay uh, so survey, this isn't even, this isn't a natural news survey. This isn't some independent media thing. This is natural news doing analysis of a survey carried out by the Kaiser Family Foundation found that 53% of Americans who have not yet been vaccinated against COVID-19 believe that the shots pose greater risks to their health than contracting the disease. It's a view that is especially strong among those who say they are not getting the vaccine Three-fourths of those who responded that they will definitely not be getting jabbed are convinced the vaccine is more dangerous than the virus itself. Interestingly, it's not just those who are unvaccinated who are concerned about the vaccine's risk. 7% of vaccinated Americans also think the vaccine poses a greater danger than the virus. Additionally, 34% of those who say they are waiting and seeing before getting the vaccine also share this belief. Most unvaccinated Americans believe the mainstream media is exaggerating COVID-19 risks. It's also noteworthy that 57% of unvaccinated Americans think the risks of COVID-19 have been exaggerated by the mainstream media. That percentage is even higher among those who are not getting vaccinated. It's 75%, while 43% of those who are waiting also believe it has been exaggerated. Uh, I mean, this is crazy. Uh, that this that, that there are this many people. I mean, this is awesome. I shouldn't say this is crazy, right? That I mean, it's actually well that it's only fifty in a way that so many people don't see that the mainstream media is exaggerating is pretty extreme. But uh, what what's shocking and and reassuring to me at the same time is seeing that that we're not alone. That really, it's 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 about it's at least at least fifty percent of America, and this is what's interesting is how deep this split is, and how fundamental the split is. It's not like should we have government be voluntary? Should we bring in the non-aggression principle, like libertarians would say, where you go, fuck, we're in a tiny minority of like five percent of the population, maybe 10, 15, depending on how inclusive and optimistic you want to be. You know, man, we are on the losing team here, right? right? We got a long ways to go. We got like there, there. We could swoop in and become the winning team with any with one presidential debate. But, but let's be honest, where we are right now, we are a minority losing team as libertarians in society, right? Policy, demographics, politically, we are we are a small minority, maybe not yeah. tiny, but we're a minority. When it comes to COVID skepticism, however, 
Well, they did a, a study, uh, a survey uh, that, I, that was also listening to NPR, where they were asking people what the number one biggest like concern was for for 2021, and it wasn't it wasn't COVID. It was government leadership. They thought government leadership was our biggest threat, not COVID. In 2020, mm-hmm. it was COVID. Yeah. But in 2021, it, it's government leadership. In 2019, it was government leadership. So it makes me hopeful. Among the vaccinated adults polled, 62% said they would wear masks in public and 61% said they would avoid large gatherings, while 37 and 40% of unvaccinated said the same. The poll also revealed that the Delta variant has been enough to push some Americans to get vaccinated, with 22% of un, excuse me, unvaxxed respondents in the survey saying that news about the variant made them more likely to get vaccinated. Which is funny because it's like, didn't, wait, I thought the vaccines don't work against Delta. Oh, they just, they make it less severe. If, do you believe that, Ant, how they're spinning this now about the vaccines? I, I, I haven't believed both. See, I don't get flu shots. Why? Because you have to get a damn flu shot every year or every two years. You get the, like the A one year, get the B next year, whatever, and you're supposed to cycle those. I don't get flu shots. I also don't get the flu. So why would I get the flu shot if I never get, I, got, I might get the flu once every five or six years. I'll get the flu. Yeah. So coming on in just a few minutes. I'm going to be challenging him about this. Like, are you going to do joints for jabs every year when they say, Hey, you need another one, you need another one, you know, like that's, I just like, and, and I understand, I mean, I was in the Marines. I understand denial, <laughs> you know, like I understand what it means to 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 do evil and in the name of government and deny it and so i can't look down really on anybody for doing joints for jabs or for for falling for this and then even resorting to uh in, intellectually you know uh un, unjustifiable things to to kind of to 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 justify my my prior positions Right. Um, well, it's right now we have we have COVID, we have the the Delta variant, so we have COVID A, we have COVID B. We're going to have COVID A through E before everything's done, and it's going to be just like the flu. Every year we're going to cycle through, and this year you're going to get the COVID this shot, you can get the COVID that shot next year, and it's going to be the same thing. But if those things don't affect you, it doesn't make sense to get those vaccines. So those are those are viral things that that are if you're more or less healthy this shows that the side effects long term don't exist if you're a healthy person it's only pre-existing conditions could cause some other issues so for me the risk of putting vaccines in every single year um i don't even vaccine like i I get my dogs their basic sets of shots whenever they're puppies and i'll do maybe one rabies shot but if they're staying inside the house most of the time or in my yard and they're not out exploring like I'm not going to get a rabies shot every year for my dogs. You well, know, I, don't think getting it. I have to because ESA. Oh, right. Well, okay. So I, I, I want to, but I want to end this block and get to some headlines and put this in perspective, right? Let's think about uh, another big recent racket that, that is, we're, we're still kind of in. Uh, if you think of uh, the global war on terror driven by 9 11. 
as such a racket, right? False flag or not, let it happen on purpose, made it happen on purpose, doesn't matter. The event happened. It was used to convince a critical mass of the population to be on board with the invasion and occupations of Iraq and Afghanistan, right? And it's sort of like it, it's take, it took us, I mean, this, this was 20 years ago. We're literally coming this year on the 20th anniversary, a month and a day from today, on the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And while it's taken that long for the American people to get past this, we, we have, right? And there's a trickle of the policy still kind of with us. One of the stories we're going to get to in a minute is uh, Afghanistan, Taliban resurging. It's like this, ah, God damn it, I told you so. Pull the finger out of the Chinese finger trap that, that, that we've put it in, that they've created in our minds around this. They're going to try to snag us back in with this. But we have so rejected the premises of the global war on terror at this point that we're argue, arguing how to stop it. And so I, I hope that I, I, I am similarly hopeful for COVID as a racket, not that it's going to take us 20 years to get to this point with COVID, but within a few years, there, there, there are certain undeniable truths that are going to be discovered and accepted and get us below this critical mass of crazy hysteria faster than they can, they can regenerate it or keep it going with the next variant or the next thing to keep us afraid of, unless it's something totally crazy. And I, and I don't want to say that I haven't anticipated, because I am anticipating that this is a possibility. I think it's a remote one, however, that they would actually release some much more serious virus that has like an actual vaccine that actually works. I mean, maybe this is a setup for the next thing, the next thing, and the next thing, and that's all very possible. Um but humanity dances forward. I don't think they're going to have the critical mass on board with COVID for much longer. This is one of the reasons. But then I, the next link in the stack, and this will really wrap up this segment. We'll get to some headlines. Uh, I wanted to look at DrudgeReport.com just to show everybody because we're not doing like a COVID block today. We're you know again maybe the theme of this week is like looking through co- looking at COVID through different lenses, and here is through the lens of recent major hysteria fear-based rackets like the global war on terror like global warming like covid is now right um so you go to drudgereport.com arkansas reports new record for hospitalization schools go against DeSantis, require masks state races to find beds ambulances strained amid delta surge confusion again reigns world nowhere near end of pandemic vaccine enthusiasts getting extra shots without fda approval status as americans picking sides pentagon to require for all troops by september 15 pharmaceutical firms raking billions Moderna to build vaccine plants in Canada. Eviction moratorium forces small landlords to consider selling. Then the big, again, so selling, what are they, who are they going to sell to? Major real estate holding companies, right? So they can, they can sell them to you uh, at an inflated price with worse financing options. But then the big headline, 9-11 Lone Star. Appeal for out-of-state COVID help. Austin warns catastrophe. Florida requests ventilators. I looked at the Florida requests ventilator story, and it's like, yeah, we found in this government procurement document that they asked for 300, and it's like, that's not even news. And it somehow got 
leveraged up into a story that's a main headline at Drudge Report. And if you go down, even in the rest of Drudge Report, uh, you know, there's another good, I don't know, fifth to, to a quarter of these uh, headlines are COVID related, I think. Well, maybe not so much today. Canada reopens border for jabbed Americans. France, Italy imposed strict mandate. Tokyo deliberately left deadly variants out of press briefings during Olympics. And then they've still got world sick map. And as, as much as Drudge Report is a great window to mainstream media, it, it used to have a lot more, you know, questioning in here. Um, and it says, you know, distrust in government is rising worldwide. It includes the headline of like, yes, pharmaceutical firms are raking in billions, but it doesn't really challenge that in a meaningful way. And it, it's sad to see that even Drudge Report now has become this overwhelming flood of COVID fear headlines. So I, I am afraid, I, and I, I'm really glad that you pointed this out today, Ann, that where we are at today with the dark cloud of COVID hanging over everything with COVID hysteria, with the control of, and I, and I hesitate to use the word tyranny because it is kind of a sensationalist term, but it, it, it is, a, it's a sort of layer of medical, is, is tyranny not sensational anymore? I, I mean, it's, it's a new layer of government racket of control. Um, I know tyranny is too subjective. It speaks to attitude. I like to use precise language when I can. Tyranny seems sensationalistic, but it's a new layer of medical control. It's a new layer of government control based on COVID as the driving excuse. And that's very disturbing. Yeah, I agree. And when you can, when you can convince American people of that it, the most crazy things and it makes it real easy for the government to implement more crazy things that, that you're going to believe in. And I think, you know, with, with COVID and all the multiple variants, and I guarantee, and, and you can quote me on this, we're going to have at least three more variants in the next five years, at least. I, I already know. And, yeah, yeah, and that's a pretty safe prediction. And then with, uh, with, with the global warming, because, it, you know, it was climate change, but now it's global warming again. So we went from, went from global warming and they said, oh, no, no, we're having global cooling because of, of humans. Now we're back to global warming. So they can't even make up their mind if, if it's just climate change in general or if it's just global warming. Um, I would think it would be more climate change in general, more the, so than just global warming. Texas has been unprecedentedly, unprecedentedly cool for this whole summer, like 8 to 12 degrees below normal. Now, places like Washington state have been 10 degrees above normal, you know? So it's just more of a shift of where the temperatures are. But, you know, I, I just, I want to end this on a hopeful note. We'll get to our guests because what's really hopeful in all this is that, the, and, and I think this speaks to Adam Eidinger's work here, right? Because there is uh, this pattern. I, I said global war on terror, right? Um, I said COVID, uh, I said global warming, the drug war. You have to be afraid of cannabis. You have to be afraid of junkies. You have to be afraid of addiction, right? The drug war is another one. And and it's, I, I love saying that cannabis is a gateway drug because you can't smoke pot and not realize that government is totally full of shit. <laughs> but there's something that that I think is sinking in as a deeper social consciousness 
from all of these bigger rackets. And I hope a big part of it is studying history. And I mean studying real history, not paying attention in elementary school while your teacher reads and then quizzes you from your government-approved history textbook, but looking at the actual history of the drug war, going online and putting the narrative together for yourself. And if you're old enough like me to remember 9-11, gosh, 9-11, I have to put the 9-11-2001, remember 2001, 20 fucking years ago around that, what was what was driving the global war on terror? It was There was this huge wave of fear mongering, right? Remember, they brought it back with ISIS. It was like an echo to get us back more involved, uh, to, to, to accept more bullshit in the Middle East. Uh, empty on YouTube in the 70s, they were spinning global cooling the next ice age, yeah. All right, well, with all of that, someone who uh, we're going to have some interesting back and forth with here uh, on on these bigger fear-mongering rackets. Ladies and gentlemen, our guest today from D.C., Adam Eidinger, DCMJ, is the treasurer of the campaign to decriminalize nature. Love that messaging. Treasurer of the D.C. Committee to Build a Better Restaurant Industry, proposer of Initiative 71, Social Action Director for Dr. Bronner's, that's, that's a brand. I good job. Good, like there, there are a few. Like as as a contrarian libertarian who shops at Walmart like an asshole, there are a few brands that I'm like. At least their labeling is like yeah, next level consciousness. So yeah, Dr. Bronner's. I'm g- g- giving you professional props, not just activism props. But no, you found a job. It's kind of a cool. I mean, it's pretty cool activist day job as far as day jobs go, right? Dr. Bronner's still big corporate brand and all that. We'll get into that. But no. Adam Heidegger is living in D.C. Brand. Get into that. <laughs> no, 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 oh, we're not. They're not. Well, look, well, we're, well, no, then, then, then we're going to get into that. Yeah, we're going to get into how righteous Dr. Bronner's is, but then you're going to have to pay me. talking about Dr. Bronner's so much, but since you brought it up, you know. Well, I, I, think it's, I think it's related to that, Adam. You know, and Adam, we haven't, you know, Adam and I are we're, we're casual friends from when I was in D.C. Anti-war days. We had a couple of meals, did a few events together. Um, Many you know, years, and, and twenty years ago. Well, no, less than twenty years ago. But you know, but yeah, fifteen plus, fifteen yeah. plus years ago. So it, 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 you're, but you're someone who I have immense respect for for having stayed in the game. You know, I hear your name come up every now and then, seeing what's happening in the news in D.C. with cannabis legalization. And one of the things that, that you might not know that's that's become a big deal to me with with Adam versus the man and my message is lifestyle advocacy. And one of the biggest ones is vote with your feet, vote with your vote with your labor, vote with your dollars, you know, vote with. And, and, and the big one that's that's not incorporated enough is where you work. Too many times people accept the 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 the, the hamster wheel and the bullshit of corporate jobs and you and, and with Dr. Bronner's at least to what degree they're corporate I would yeah please explain but you have you've clearly broken out of that and I, I I'm 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 celebrating that well, let, but, let, um, let me address so, a couple of things real quick go ahead uh, so first of all Dr. Bronner's is a uh, family-owned business uh, it's owned by David and Michael Bronner um, however you know the, the structure of how the business operates includes fair trade certification, B Corp certification. Um, It's a vegan company. Uh, You know, we've really pioneered a lot of fair trade raw material projects from around the world. 
and um, we just launched a, a chocolate bar uh, like like yesterday. Uh, multiple chocolate bars that um, come, f- you know, from uh, fair trade African uh, Ghana Ghanaian farmers. They um, we were already in business with them because of their palm oil production, uh, which is used in uh, balm uh, or bar soap. I normally don't speak on behalf of the company. I'm I'm actually in a department in the company. At one time, I was actually the public affairs director for the company, and I did speak sometimes for the company, but uh, I I don't anymore. And but what my job is is actually the company is like an engine for social change, and it funds a lot of a lot of things behind the scenes. Frankly, um, you know, uh, there's a lot of sadaka going on with this company. I mean, the, the owners have capped their pay. David and Michael, who own the company, uh, there's no shareholders, there's no stock. It's just a family business. They capped their pay at five times the lowest paid worker. Now, I, I visited Cuba in 2015. I was mm-hmm. lucky to get on a Code Pink trip, and I asked the the leader of this. Hold on, hold on. did you use the term sadaka, like like the Hebrew term? Sorry, I just want. Did you use the term sadaka? Oh, sorry, I didn't explain that. Yeah, sadaka is like is charity, and when you in in Judaism, it talks about like, well, you know, there's different types of charity. There's people who give and then show it off, okay, and then there's people who give and don't really talk about too much, and you may have to dig to find out that who who was the person who helped. You know, this other person or this cause and this this charity charitable cause if you do it anonymously it's it's like you're not doing it for the publicity you're just doing it um, because it's the right thing to do and so so much of this company is like that internally like it's the right thing to pay every worker in the company a, a decent wage from the lowest paid worker to the, even to the highest paid worker decency might actually be a modest wage for the highest paid worker you know it sets the tone there's a lot of middle class people who work at this company. I've, I've this is about to be embark on my 20th year working with David Bronner, uh, who's one of my best friends and also my boss. And uh, you know, David um, has a vision for uh, ending the drug war. That I, I mean, we're, to- we're brothers on this, and um, we also want to see legalization go go in a way that promotes the cottage industry and promotes regenerative agriculture. When you're talking about cannabis. Um, so we have a we have an agenda. I mean, like a lot of a lot of people do in this world, but I think it's a altruistic agenda. And we do mm. business with Palestinian farmers and with and with Israeli mm. farmers. We get our olive oil from the Holy Land. Mm. We do business in Sri Lanka. We were one of the first, you know, American investors in rebuilding the Sri Lankan economy after the civil war, and um, we developed a, you know, a fair trade coconut project there that's certified organic. It's keeping pesticides out of the jungle. Keep, you know, we're against monocropping. We want farmers to intercrop multiple crops. We want, you know, to make the Garden of Eden, you know, and uh, and I think, you know, we, we're really committed to organic and cosmetics. We fought the whole cosmetics industry back in the early 2000s because in, in the courts uh, over the issue of pesticides and laden cosmetics or, you know, pe- basically cosmetics that had 1,4-dioxane in them which is uh, cancer causing, and they're calling it soap, and it's not. It's a detergent, and there's mm. a difference between soap and detergent. And we litigated that. I think it was 18 companies that David Bronner sued, and we also ran a, a coming clean campaign with the Organic Consumers Association. We've we've really been allies with a lot of groups over the years, uh, uh, spanning uh, from animal welfare organizations to uh, peace organizations to uh, you know a lot of. Sometimes we find ourselves 
maybe at odds with some libertarian gun advocates, or we maybe uh, sometimes we find ourselves a little bit, we try to be a very inclusive company. So people from the left to the right can feel like they can work there and be, you know, and have a voice. Our, our employees actually get to vote on where we send money, our profits to. I mean, the, the owners of the company could have just said, we built this company. I'm paying myself $10 million a year. Right. It, you know, and, and they're not like that. They, they, they pay themselves like a decent, like a high executive wage in the government. You know, that's like a quarter yeah. million range. No, no, there's, there's so yeah. much, hold on, Adam, there's so much I want to comment on yeah, here. Before you, before before you just company. look it up, Dr. Brown, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, no, no. don't, don't take I, my word for it. Look it up. No, I, <laughs> I, I want to get into this actually because it's a story that I don't know enough about, and I excuse me for being dismissive of it as as, as corporate because it's so successful. And to me, this is like I thought we were just going to talk about pot for thirty minutes, but no, this is almost more interesting to talk about because I I understand if you're uh you know a, a, of a more left mentality that there are going to be things that drive entrepreneurial based activism that a libertarian might have issues with, but. At, I would hope that there are so many things that are indisputably unjust in the world today that conscientious entrepreneurship like what you're describing can be a model for. I don't want them to give quietly. I want them to be loud about this, not just with fine prints on all the bottles, but like what 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 to me might be a more interesting subject. And I, I want to connect this to COVID and, and your role with joints for jabs and legalization and, and decrim and, and psychedelics. But I, I, I don't want to jump straight off this topic because I, I want to ask first, how have you been able, uh, how has Dr. Bronner's been able to be successful in a world where they're competing with ruthless corporate assholes that don't have any kind of righteous agenda? How are you allowed to exist well, in this world? First of all, there's a long history with Dr. Bronner's. Uh, it goes back to you know Emmanuel Bronner in 1948, forming the company um, after escaping from um, the Elgin, uh, and I think they call it insane asylum. I mean, it was in Chicago. He was basically given shock treatment, and he got locked up for giving a speech on a street corner about environmental pollution coming out of the the dawn of the chemical <laughs> age and wow. and they thought he was he was just an eccentric he had he had ideas but he wasn't he didn't deserve to be given shock treatment he was tortured so when you read on the bottle you know it talks about being right. electrocuted and things. it's actually dr bronner who got electrocuted and um he was also you know he had this idea of uniting spaceship earth he was resisting against his orthodox jewish father who was this master soap maker in Germany. He came up through the guild system. So he came to the United States long before World War II, but lost all his family in World War II and, and saw the devastating nature of nuclear war and just felt compelled to speak out. And when he got out, he started making, when he escaped, literally his sister came and took him out to lunch and he ran away and he hitchhiked to California and he started making the soap again in, in a bathtub in a tenement. And when he ended up in uh, wanting to give speeches again, feeling compelled, he rented out church basements and he would give away the soap as a thank you gift for coming to hear him speak. He had plenty of money. He had, he had built some soap factories back in the thirties uh, when he was young and he saved his money. So he had money and um, he needed, he needed, uh, he needed an outlet for this expression. So he was doing it in church basements and eventually he was reunited with his, his children 
who then like started to help him out and said, you know, you should write on the label. You should just make a product. You know, don't mess around anymore. Just make the product. So his his two sons helped him. One worked on the label with him. The other one worked on actually making the soap on the weekends. And he was a chemist. And and and, the, and there was a family business at that point going all the way up. And then in, you know, in the seventies, you know, like Jimi Hendrix was using the soap, and and hippies were putting it in their in their vans and taking it across country. And it was an iconic thing of of the counterculture was the soap because it wasn't it was a real person behind it who had ideas and he was putting them on the label and and the label kept evolving until he passed away in in, in the mid 90 and the 98 and uh you know very quickly the company passed from the sons to the grandsons um fortunately because jim bronner passed um and in 99 and uh david bronner took over the company we're about the same age i'm 47 so anyway, he had some crazy ideas like putting hemp in the soap and and he brought his brother along and he said his brother's like, let's take the soap global. Let's like really sell it all over the world. And it's export. Let's bring money back to this country. Let's expand this thing and grow this thing. And they let's do it with ethics. Like it's not like we have a brand already. It's a family brand that people trust. But we, how do we take it to the next level? And so as the you know trend towards organic and you know you start to see the rise of whole foods and natural supermarkets so you see they're all over the place there's lots of little chains sprouts and you know different different types of um not supermarkets that felt compelled to carry this as an alternative product from detergent chemical laden preservative laden you cannot trust products made by right. wall street and um but the products you can trust this family like they have they're in it their reputations in it like that's why you can trust this brand and but David, you know, added hemp oil, and then he got into a huge fight with the DEA. I had to sue the DEA from 2001 to 2004 with the Hemp Industry Association. We won, which was unbelievable. <laughs> and we stopped them. They were trying to ban hemp foods and ban uh, hemp seed oil in cosmetics, right. and uh, we stopped them. And then this whole industry is blown up. I mean, it's now CBD is huge, and billions and billions of dollars in Wall Street money has come in, and everything's changed and uh you know we've got legalization in many more states than we had just a couple years ago it's about to go federal i'm very optimistic after today's vote we're get a federal uh cannabis legislation that the, the democrats and republicans might like working together leading into the next cycle as a way to repair their images so they might start working together more and more in the coming months and cannabis is something that's low-hanging fruit that they get yeah this is their excuse from. issue for that well i want to go back though so <laughs> It, how did because i want to i want to try to connect this to the current economic dynamics too around cannabis around the the you know up-and-coming cannabis industry you know all of the alternative medicine industry uh, things that that are related to this so like mm. how did modern industrialization and corporatism fuck up something as basic as soap so badly and, and how is it that we are still doing it so badly that if, if Dr. Bronner's has been around for so long, how is it that this model or other competing you know, businesses of a similar ethic haven't just completely displaced uh, toxic cleaning products? You know, it's the better living through chemistry uh, that was being pitched in the 30s that really killed the natural soap industry. Everybody had natural soaps up until all of a sudden they realized they can make detergent very cheaply from mined petrochemicals, right? And mm -hmm. uh, a petroleum and alcohol from uh, petroleum that you, and so 
they started using every, you know, it's just sort of like, hey, we were already doing this for maybe to make airplane fuel. <laughs> you know, they're already right. doing stuff with it. They're already refining it. How can we, how can we get the most out of it? So they just added it. And a lot, I think a lot of, a lot of people at the time that were making natural soaps were pretty devastated by the rise of body wash. And it really, it put a lot of soap, local regional soap brands out of business. It used to be a regional thing. And, and another thing is you could, you could make soap out of a lot of different things, including animal fat. So in fact, Dr. Bronner's, you know, in, it was um, in Germany, it was, I think it was called Heilbronner Modifum. And they were based in Heilbronn in Southern Germany. And, and it was a Jewish enclave in Heilbronn that they lived in. And, um, and originally from Lopheim, another small town not far away. Uh, and that's where they were using like whatever fats they can get their hand on, like lamb fat was really common. So they would, the butcher would give them their fat and they didn't just make uh, soap. They also made candles. Like it was a similar, you know, a similar home based industry. You know, you could do it in your basement and pay your bills and, and build a life even maybe. And, and really for the Bronners, they went from 1858 out of a little tiny house making soap to eventually having a factory that the Nazis stole. In 1937, they nationalized it and fired all the Jewish employees, including the owners. And um, and that building is still there. Actually, the building was—it's a big building. It was—they had a hundred, I think, a hundred employees. You know, it's, it, Adam, it's really interesting that you connect this to the petrochemical industry and you connect it to you know oil and gas and the extraction. Obviously, there's a—it's an undeniable connection there. And we're, we were just talking about climate change as how the, you know, it's being used to some degree, whether you agree with our interpretation or not, it's being used to, to scare people into support, supporting specific government policies that's going to keep the, 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 new alter, the new good alternative energy industry in the hands of the corporate few. It's going to keep it managed in that transition. So I, I want to bring it back now to, to the current day and your activism around hemp and how that connects to Dr. Bronner's being a fundamental threat to the mate. I mean, the, you've seen the movie Network. The world isn't governments anymore. It's corporations. And and in, in a way, Dr. Bronner is, is, is trying to edge that out. The cannabis industry as, an, as, as a huge wellspring of alternative medicine sources is pushing out big pharma, is pushing out so many other things that that were were that that, that you know even paper and construction bullshit. You yeah, wait, no hemp, hemp, hemp. Just no, get no. Just realize the potential of the hemp plant. Holy shit! How is it? <laughs> and and now we're at this point where we see all of these things that that seem like you know evil manifestations and in institutions kind of. Uh, crumbling. You know, do you see your role in in cannabis activism? You know, how do you see your role in cannabis activism connected to, you know, corporate activism with, okay, with Dr. So Bronner's? And Dr. Bronner's has no uh, THC products. We don't have any CBD products. We made some CBD bomb for ourselves. We were just experimenting with it, but we never, we don't, no, this is a personal fight, very much so. Um, look, there used to be 6,000 arrests in my town, I've lived in D.C. most of my life, um, 6,000 arrests a year for cannabis. And so it was always about civil rights. Um, and then, of course, in D.C., you know, four uh, out of five of those arrests were African-Americans. 
Um, when it comes to convictions, it was like nine out of 10 were African-Americans. Um, I mean, it was clearly being used against uh, low-income people and people of color as a way to oppress their communities. And, I'm, I, and I, I, I often have a hard time understanding why. Like, what was the point of that? Is it just to keep people poor so there's an underclass that's willing to take crappy jobs that pay minimum wage? which is already a, not a real minimum wage. It's, it's a sub to cost of living wage. Um, I mean, we just, it's all connected. So um, fortunately, where there's a ballot initiative process and we can bypass the political uh, block really on change, because it's been a block for as long as I was alive. I mean, the drug war really got underway in 1972 the new modern day version of it. And I was born in 1973. So my whole life it was there and it was sort of like, this is just getting worse and, and worse. And so many people's lives are turned upside down because they're unlucky to get caught with uh, cannabis. So, you know, it was like, hey, there's a ballot initiative process. It's been used in the past in DC for medical cannabis and initiative 59 in 1998, which I, I volunteered on. And it was my first taste of what a ballot initiative really could do. And it was so empowering that just people, any ordinary person can write a law, you know, and it, you go through the right channels, but eventually it could be put on the ballot and the people vote on it and you just bypass the politicians. Although they still have the right to overturn it in DC, it still has to go to Congress for a congressional review. So there are like more hurdles, but you have a chance. And eventually if you do enough of these ballot initiatives, the politicians steal the issue from you. They're like- Yeah, right. Yeah, you know, that's, that's the goal. And, and that's how it yeah. goes. <laughs> no, no, no. So that, that's, that's kind of our, one of our goals as libertarians in, in achieving a voluntary society isn't necessarily, we don't care if we ever get elected. If Democrats and Republicans want to like, like Donald Trump pretending to be libertarian, like, yeah, okay, well, let's okay. act like it. We got to pull you our way one issue at a time. But Adam, I would be remiss if I didn't in the last few minutes we've got cover at least a couple of things. One, yes, we, we have to, we have to have a, a, a smoking like celebration a watched- of your work. I watched your show a lot in the last, I watched like maybe five episodes since you booked me because I, I wasn't familiar with your show, to be honest. And I was like, wow, a quarter million viewers, what's this all about? I need to watch this. And uh, or followers, subscribers, maybe it's not a quarter million viewers right now, but holy crap, man, you smoke on your show. And I was like, hey, we smoke in our Zoom meetings for DCMJ, so. <laughs> Every day, man, no, it, and it's something I've been doing for a long time. And I, I call this taking my COVID vitamins. Because, you know, uh, COVID disproportionately affects people who are unhealthy and, and people who smoke cannabis uh, are disproportionately healthier and actually have slimmer waistlines, which is relevant to COVID, than the average non-smoker. So, yes, we take our COVID vitamins every day here. But, yeah. Adam, I, I obviously, so we could, we could argue, you and me could debate ideology and we'd have a lot of fun. Debate. And maybe, what's that? If you want to debate, let's debate. Let's just stay friends. Well, let's no, I mean, I want <laughs> Not make it personal. <laughs> no, no, but I, I, I mean, because I, I have so much respect for your work and your history and your persistence. And even now, what you're working on uh, in D.C. for decrimming, uh, decrimming, can we make that a verb now? Decrimming well, all it, plant it's medicines. Done. It's done. I mean, we did it. It's yeah, passed it. They did it. Oh, that's done. Done. That's done. D.C. is decrim they are you indeed can have mushrooms on you and pretty much you're not going to be arrested or you're not going to be uh charged either way there's like two ways out it's yeah the- but there's, there's in but adam there's there's a big problem with doing mushrooms in dc 
Well, don't dance around you're, the Jefferson Memorial. You're in D.C. <laughs> you're, st- you're still in D.C. No, but what, what I want to well, get to right. in D.C. At, where do you think I, I've lived for the last, last – you know, I've been here since I was 18 years. I've been here for almost – No walls, no authority figures. There's beautiful wooded areas around D.C. Yeah, okay, yeah. Fair yeah. Enough. I think a walk in Rock Creek Park. You're going to get out of D.C. All right, but Adam, you, you did joints for jabs recently – where you were giving people joints to encourage them to take the COVID vaccine, which seems yeah. like the opposite oh, of man. everything that you've done that is anti-authority, that oh. is challenging the established economic order. And now you're combining something like super corporate government driven unnatural with something beautiful and, okay. and, and God given, it, it kind of hurts. You know? We rely on science to stay alive as a species. I mean, if we didn't know how to treat water, we'd all die in just a, in just a week from lack of water. Okay? Like we rely on science and the science shows this vaccine totally works and doesn't have really that many side effects other than the average population. And it beats the virus as far as side effects versus dying from the virus. And I think people should not confuse you know, corporate greed and corporate abuse of power with science. They're separate things, okay? They're separate things. And it just so happens that corporations uh, like Moderna, I took the Moderna vaccine. I'm not, I don't work for Moderna. I don't take a dollar from Moderna. I have no side deals with pharmaceutical companies whatsoever. No one from this pharmaceutical company even called me. No one from the Department of Health called me, but we took the initiative to give away home grow, to mobilize people to get the vaccine, um, because the science shows it works. And science stood up for cannabis. In 1999, the Institute of Medicine published its first report in the United States saying all the existing data shows this is, has efficacy as medicine. And that was a huge step for the medical cannabis movement. And it took us out of total prohibition to where medical actually had legitimacy. And that was because of the scientific community. Now, for the cannabis movement to say for you know their skepticism of corporate power and government power is enough to trump the science. It, it dishonors when science stood with the cannabis community. And I was very moved when I saw people protesting in Los Angeles, stopping the vaccination of people who wanted to get vaccinated, stopping them from getting vaccinated with a protest. And some of those people were prominent cannabis reformers because they're libertarians in Los Angeles. And I just thought, you know what? I know where I stand. I'm a Democrat. I'm, I don't love my party. It's piece of crap party a lot of the time and and there's a lot of people in it that are just self-serving however there are a lot of people that mean well too and we believe in public health i believe in public uh i believe in medicare for all so I believe, so adam I adam I, I, this is I'm part not, of public health this i, is I don't I, I know oh, we could I got, now you got me worked up i'm not mad at you i don't, no, no, <laughs> I, know, I know i know and and you know i I say this like I, it, it's it's delicate because you're someone who I truly respect and I respect your work, and I don't want to pick this apart and turn this into a debate. But I want you to take a second to see that everything that you're saying to justify the COVID mythology, the official narrative, and the righteousness of the vaccines is stuff that was said to justify banning cannabis. You said when science stood with, with the cannabis community, how it, it's not science like it's personified. 
because you could say for decades science stood with the drug warriors and said that cannabis is going to kill you and make black women want or black men go after white women and listen to jazz and like it was it was science the science was clear cannabis will kill your grandma and you have to trust big pharma for your antidepressant medications how dare you turn to a natural solution that we can't make money off of and and your sources that you say i i, I think your logic is fundamentally sound i think it's almost a deeper intellectual slash spiritual orientation of skepticism to authority where we look at who is saying this and how they have lied to us in the past and even the big moderna like all of these big pharmaceutical companies have had lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit and now they're being told or we're being told they don't have any liability if these vaccines hurt people and then you go well what was the relative threat and I think it's it's it, it. I I want to compare this to you know I fell for the global war on terror. I didn't fall for the drug war as a kid, but okay. I did fall for the global war on terror, and I put my life on the line for that. And it took me a long time to admit I was wrong. And I think right now, especially, well, you got the vaccine. Well, that doesn't cover Delta. You're going to need another vaccine, and another vaccine, and another vaccine, and another vaccine. And at some point you are going to come to see the racket of the COVID mythology okay, the same so way you see part of the drug war racket. Your prediction, I think, is – I don't think you're right about the, what me or I if you can get more vaccines. Maybe I will get one more vaccine shot, but I think the virus – we're going to get close to enough people with immunity either through getting the virus naturally or taking the vaccine that, it, that we are going to be covid what if there's a variant? But there's there's going to be a variant, and you're going to need another vaccine, guess, just like the flu. You need one every year. Your last guess was predicting it would go on and on and on and on, maybe for like like the new war on terror. Three to five years that they can stretch it out. Yeah, that's I, a reason. I, I think I think we're looking at the data will determine whether or not we actually have a crisis, and we have a crisis at the moment. You look at the data, we have a crisis in all the places where people are unvaccinated. We have higher infection rates than we have ever had right now. Okay, we're in about in a few weeks, we're going to have 3000 people a day dying in some of these states, and it's going to make a big deal. It's going to be a big story. We, we currently have the highest infection rate on the planet. You know why? Because this country can't come together and use their common sense that sometimes science can save your life. It's science. even the data on that is look at the international data there look at a country like israel that has one of the highest vaccination rates and is experiencing a surge too you, well, you that lot short when you look you zoom out just a little bit yeah we don't know how long these vaccines really will last I, i'll give you that point any day i'm willing to, to give you all the doubtful points i probably agree with you on most of them about you know will we have to take these every year i mean the flu vaccines every year you know, they, there's talk, you know, this needs to get into your bones. <laughs> it needs to be like part of you for you to fight it off. I know, but you think you're like this. 
I have friends left and right that that's still scared. Do you remember two weeks to flatten the curve? You remember, hey, this isn't really a big deal. The virus isn't because the original oh, message from the government to get us to comply was that was this, Trump's this, spin on the virus. You're repeating. No, you no, no. Even the even Fauci Fauci spin was, hey, it's not that bad. But if it gets to elderly, if it gets to vulnerable, vulnerable, it could be bad. So we're just going to do two weeks to flatten the curve. Well, look, that was the ho I was hopeful thinking. Okay, what we have here is a real pandemic, a real contagious virus. I might even give it to you that it was created by a government, possibly. I don't ours. really care about that. To me, that's actually the real issue. It's like if science is going to get it's going to get so easy to do genetic engineering in a lab. I mean, you might we didn't talk about this, but we also had a huge campaign for GMO labeling. And we didn't say banning GMOs. We said well, just let I, the consumer I, know. Adam, I want That's you enough. to address this challenge real quick because this is about fundamental about nature, the understanding of government. In order to believe the COVID mythology as we know it today, you have to believe that suddenly big government and big pharma and all of these historically evil individuals and institutions suddenly decided now we care about protecting oh humans. Oh my God, if our government had done what the libertarians wanted when COVID hit and did nothing and just let the free market take over and just let all the people who can't pay their rent go into foreclosure and send the police all over the country kicking people out of their houses. They, they wouldn't have had to go into foreclosure. If there hadn't been a massive rollout of the United States that was brought to us by a Republican president by and his Republican Wall Street. Yeah, exactly. Department. Both parties okay. are both These old parties. Both the country with exactly. cash. All the equities went up. People are living off of their equities. They're they're making money off the stock market or Bitcoin or whatever. And and it actually has worked. Okay. It has provided a semblance of stability. And this has nothing to do with libertarian. And this is all because the government wants to keep people alive. Because that's how you win in this that's how you win this war is you keep your people alive. And you actually need people who are in the military. You are in the military. Now, when you were in the military, didn't you have to get like 16 or 17 vaccinations? Didn't you do it? So what's yeah, one more? I, re what's I remember one? that day. You. I remember that day. And Come if on. I may, just so for, for the non-vets, in the, in, in the Marine Corps, in the year 2000, you, you go to medical one day in boot camp, and you line up in this gauntlet of needles. You roll both your sleeves up, and you take a step forward, and it goes boom, boom. And you take another step forward, boom, boom. And you take three more steps and you get 10 shots like that. And then at the end of the line, you pull your pants down and you get one of these. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then you're everybody's like sore all over, huh? Afterwards, your arms are sore. Your ass is sore. <laughs> you got really fucked. <laughs> um, so look, but you survived it, right? And most of the, anyone in your unit like dropped down dead after that? I mean, they might have got, did anything happen? Did you feel- They're different? all pre-screened to be healthy and eligible to take the risks associated with Marine Corps recruit training. Well, the story today is, uh, I mean, I was just reading in New York Times that, that it's coming in September. If you want to stay in the military, you're going to have to get the COVID vaccine. Yeah, so no, about about the vaccines. No, Adam, let me let me let me give you some perspective on on my take that I think is going to make it more reasonable for you. I'm not a vaccine fear mongerer. I I'm generally pro vaccine. I'm, I'm I mean I'm sort of like neutral on the uh, as far as most people go. 
but I'm I'm anti-COVID vaccines because of the lack of liability and, and that I'm definitely anti-forced vaccines, but also I'm anti-COVID vaccines because the risk of the vaccines and the risk of the virus are kind of on the same level. I think there might be limited application, but if we're if government, if the mythology is correct and we're actually capable of mitigating COVID spread through hygienic isolation, I'd be more of an advocate of that if we did it right. The way we're doing masks is horrifically wrong. If we did it more with sanitation, with hand washing, with separation, with consciousness, like we would in a bad flu season. And for people who are vulnerable, hey, practice extreme hygienic isolation until there's a better treatment or vaccinations are tested for longer. But when I'm censored for talking about this, when I'm censored for talking about, hey, are there treatments besides the vaccine? You go, something's fundamentally wrong. When you go, what's the broader economic effect of this? The super rich get way richer at the expense of the rest of us. I have to think that that, that mythology is fundamentally wrong. Okay. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm hearing you on a lot of this that I actually don't disagree um, that there are there's going to be a segment of the population that should not take the vaccine no matter what, because if they're if their doctor is telling them, you know, you have an autoimmune disease, you need you don't want to mess with your immune system. This is right. It's going to make you sick or, you know, there could be other reasons. And then there could be reasons that are not even medical, that are more emotional where like it's truly fundamentally violates someone's core belief. Like it's like right. a, not a religious belief, but it's a core belief. Or maybe it is a religious belief actually. Um, so that's fine. Uh, but I think we need to get, try to get 75, 80% of the public to, to do it and give this a shot. Uh, because in the drug trials, there were trials where I think it was 39,000 people that participated and I know some people that did, and they didn't brag about it while it was happening. They waited till afterwards to reveal that they were in the drug trials. Mm-hmm. And I think those people are heroes. I think we cannot just throw out the whole vaccination. Like all vaccinations are bad. Like that's not smart. And I, you know, it's been a very yeah, struggle. Me personally, my my daughter is seventeen. You know, my my uh, uh, her mom and I are not together, and we um, had a big discussion. Her mom has actually worked for the Organic Consumers Association and has been a critic of giving vaccines to the masses without long-term, longer-term drug trials. So they, right. they have a nuanced approach at Organic Consumers that they don't support any vaccination of anything until it's gone through full approval of the FDA. And they're kind of like using the FDA's regs against them because this has all been rushed. It's true. It, it has been rushed. And... Uh, I think we're at the, you know, we're just at the tail end. Uh, I think it's going to be October 1st where they're going to be able to um, start to formalize um, and probably by the end of this year that this is really uh, actually has gone through the rigorous review. And, and, and part of the reason I like, I'm so confident of that is because it's really simple. Like the data is really strong compared to other vaccination regimes, which have like 60% eff- efficacy that, you know, unless you're taking the Johnson and Johnson, the Moderna, and Pfizer's are, are 95 to 97, depending on where you live and how yeah. much viruses around you. That's a factor, too. But people people in the southern states, I mean, I'm sorry, like you have an epidemic now. You, your your hospitals are now full. Like they're full. If it gets if it doubles again in infection and bad and bad cases coming in, you're going to they're intense. They're going to all be in parking lots. People are going to be dying in parking lots. And um 
what's so what's really killing people like i don't see hospitals full of people with vaccinations none it's 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 one out of a hundred that are ending up in the hospital with a vaccination so i'm you know and i have friends it's it's terrifying i have so many friends that are free thinkers that have chosen not to get the vaccine and they're not left or right they're kind of in the middle and they they're open-minded people and and I, you know, every day I'm like worried about them. You're making me, you're making all you, the whole world is begging you. So I don't want to sound like MSNBC, which I mean, if you turn on CNN or MSNBC right now, which maybe your viewers would never do, but if they did, you you see it's like a constant drumbeat of vaccination news because we're about to set new records. And I don't think it's because of Biden. I don't think it's because of the government. I think it's because the people are fucking stubborn. Sorry, I'm swearing. Americans are stubborn. Mm-hmm. You don't have to apologize for that. What? You don't have to apologize for swearing, but well, you're doing okay, a great okay. job of apologizing <laughs> for the COVID mythology here. No, so I, I appreciate you taking the time to get into this and 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 sharing your uh, your perspective openly. Uh, the only thing I have to I, I have to insert here though is that. I, having seen how much the statistics have been manipulated, and I like to point out that 86.75309% of all statistics are made up bullshit designed to manipulate you, that from the beginning with this COVID uh, d- d- uh, data uh, orgy around death counts and cases and blah, 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 like, I, 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 I've seen, I, 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 don't, I don't trust the sources that you're citing on this. Um, and, and, and maybe so that's hard the fundamental to, difference. Have you had to handle someone's death records? I mean, they're really hard to fake a death. It's like one of the most accurately counted things in our society is when someone dies. And then what happens is a series of updates to your status in, in the world. And I'm, I think we are actually tracking, we may be under tracking it. I think we're under tracking it. Um, so like it just shows how far apart we are on this. Like I'm, we're under tracking it. I trust data. I read the New York Times. Some people don't trust the New York Times. To me, the New York Times is actually the most trustworthy news, news organization in, in the country. What did the and, New York Times have to say about 9-11 and the invasion of Iraq? Oh, boy. What, is, you what know, has the New York Times had to say about the drug war this whole time? You know, we're all we're all being uh, left in the dark about the precursors to the war in Iraq and and 9-11 and it's, I would appreciate we didn't get into that subject because it's so upsetting to me. Um, and I don't have a popular viewpoint on it that I don't, that I, I have, I have intentionally left out of many conversations at this point. And so I'm just, I think maybe there's some things we just have to heal from that are just so devastating and they're so divisive still. I mean, if you, if you, if you, uh, so I used to uh, back in the day, back when we were, collaborating on IVAW activities. Um, I was also involved with uh, uh, Architects for 9-11 Truth. And there was like 1,100 architects. It wasn't like a small number of architects. It was 1,100. And all these years later, if I tell someone who's on the other side of this and says the official story is correct and you guys are assholes for even bringing it up, like don't even bring it up. It's like offensive to them. I've actually come to the conclusion, I agree, it is offensive to bring it up. And I, I actually, I went and visited the memorial for the first time. And I, I tried to see through the vision of the people that believe the official story. And I actually have tried to internalize it as the truth. Now, right, right. It may not have been my original truth, but it is the truth that 
so many Americans have internalized and they Correct. dare not go out of it. It's too right. scary. It's too, if, if it's, if they really were to believe some other story, other version, it's so devastatingly scary that they would be compelled to do something about it and they don't want to have to be in that position. So they, Hold on. It's, 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 it's a little, it's, it's become fundamental to their identity. And they have to yes. learn to let that go. Speaking of psilocybin, and I don't want to. I want to make friends of psychedelics and letting go. Let's not talk. But let's just honor all the lives that were lost on September 11th. It's coming up a month from today, and um, the 20th anniversary. And I think we do need to like mark the occasion with severe reverence because it sent the country in a terrible direction. And um, you know, I think we're still paying the price from this a little bit, but. You know, it's hard, you know, people who are older, I think, can make the connections. It might be harder for young people to see the connection to where we are right now. But um, so let's get into psilocybin, which is the healing to the nation. Um, and it doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or Republican, you can still engage in this healing. Um, and I do think we'll get better politics if more people were using psilocybin in our society and not maybe pouring it out in alcohol or doing other drugs or, you know prescription drugs, things like that. So, so yeah, so real fast, uh, uh, decrim nature, um, started in Oakland and, uh, we were really impressed because they managed to actually get the law changed. So I made a visit to Oakland and at the same time heard that there was a, a mother of two in DC that had, that was also interested in raising this issue in a ballot initiative. She had taken psilocybin. Her name is Melissa Lavasani. She had taken psilocybin for postpartum depression after the birth of her second child. She's a DC government employee and um, worked in the budget office, had a pretty uh, important job planning the budget for the whole city and, you know, uh, math guru, I guess. And so she um, found great relief from the psilocybin that her husband grew for her. I, I really have desperation but reading about Paul Stamets and um, and reading other studies around the world and deciding we should just take this into our own hands and try this. And it brought her such a relief that she also felt, I need to become an advocate. So we had this, we made a partnership um, where I was the treasurer and she was the proposer. And then we had a steering committee that Dr. Bronners was part of and um, numerous uh, local activists that have also been from across all the different neighborhoods of DC engaged in this campaign. And um, it was really tough because we were launching it and then COVID hit and we didn't know how we were going to collect the signatures with, you know, in public, no one's walking around. Everything's closed. It was throwing a big mm-hmm. monkey wrench into it. And so I, I, if you just give me a couple more minutes, I will, I just want to say like, we, we got the law changed. We got the election law changed because they were already changing it for the, the election. They were saying, we're not going to expect politicians to get collect signatures to get on the ballot. We're going to make it 25 signatures. You could do that easily without affecting a lot of people instead of 2000, you know? So we were like, well, we're not asking for fewer signatures, although we would like that. We just want you to let us collect by mail, which means that someone would self-certify their signature on a ballot initiative. So you sign your name up top and then you sign the bottom as the collector. So you sign twice. And we thought, ah, we can overcome this. We could like mail to people. So we mailed this petition out to the entire all of District of Columbia. Dr. Bronner's was having an amazing year last year because people were buying more soap than they've ever bought, just buying everything because they were hoarding. Hmm. So, and, and this year we're having a very difficult year because people are burning through their ah. 
Yeah. <laughs> so it's, yeah, there's a little bit of a hangover. Uh, we're not able to do as much <laughs> this year as we did last year. It's it's a problem. So please support us uh, if you like what I'm talking about. So anyway, anyway we, we went ahead and like pumped, we like tripled our budget for this campaign because of COVID. Like COVID made that possible. And, uh, you know, there's no campaign finance limits. So the company gave like the bulk of the funding, although we did raise, I think, over $30,000 from small contributors. So there was actually a partnership with, it wasn't just just a few of us. It was a pretty big campaign. I think we had over a thousand donors in the end. Um, so yeah, uh, we mailed it out and we collected 12,500 signatures through the mail. We needed 26,000. So we got almost half the signatures we needed through the mail. But another thing the law let us do, this new law, was collect signatures by email, which was the first ever oh. in the United States where you could col- you could take a picture of the petition you just signed and then email it to us and we would print it out. And that counted we collected wow. 900 signatures nice. that way. And that was like amazing. Like in the middle of COVID, like people with masks, like getting mail, opening the mail, restuffing the mail. About, ha- about half of the envelopes that showed up were incorrectly filled out. The date was missing, mm. the signature was missing. So we had pre-printed like stickies and things and we'd slap them on there and send it right back in the mail. Uh, and, and it was, it worked. We just kept getting I don't know, Sounds like a super spreader to me. <laughs> no, 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 we were careful. Uh, but um, no one in the campaign got COVID last year. Nobody, 160 people. In the end, we still had to collect signatures in person, but we got lucky because the Black Lives Matter protests really erupted in DC. And that weekend, we just started collecting signatures in public outside supermarkets and things. But suddenly there was like lots of people in the streets. So we were actually able to get the another you know 13,000 or so signatures in public. And we had we only collected enough signatures on the last day that was possible to collect the signatures and we turned it in and it qualified for the ballot. And with that point, we spent our time, you know, campaigning virtually pretty much the whole time, this constant virtual campaigning. And, uh, it passed by 76%. Yeah. 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 And it's like, uh, we were we were hoping to get over seventy as like a way a, such a high number that nobody in the DC Council would overturn it, and and I did overturn the minimum wage initiative that passed initiative seventy seven that passed by fifty six percent and they overturned that two years earlier so we were like we don't want to be in the fifties no matter what <laughs> it's getting the sixties seventies but seventy six means that the you know really like there's been a lot of change in people's attitudes about drugs to the point where. It's just, it's just mainstream. It's like, this is three-fourths of the public. And this is a democratic town, you know? I mean, there are some libertarians here, and, and they're, but they're like 5%, you know, or maybe Republican and libertarian, five, okay? I mean, Trump got 4%. Yeah, DC's super blue, super blue by every measure. It's just, a, it's just a, and you know what? And I, I don't, I wish we had more competitive situation. I really, really do. I, I, my, I found out my grandfather in Pittsburgh was a Republican and supported Nixon. I was like, what? Because everyone in my family is Democrat. And I was like, yeah, he was really not pop. I was like, there must have been a reason. So, um, but yeah, like he used to drive around with a bullhorn and try to get people to vote for Nixon and like all the teenagers oh, wow. throwing, you know, tomatoes at him. And uh, <laughs> this, was like, this was like in 69 or something. And, um, but in Pittsburgh, but I, I, my mother, I was like, they kept it from me from a long time that I'm named after him. His name was Adolf. I'm Adam. So 
Uh, they didn't want to. That's a good. That's a good shift. Yeah, because if they, yeah. <laughs> but, hey, Adam, uh, we're not going to get back into COVID stuff. Um, okay. But uh, I, I, well, unless you want to weigh in I'll on mandates for masks or jabs. Okay, uh, I don't believe I would never support a mandate for someone to get the vaccination. Just a citizen should not be mandated. I, I don't agree with that. I will stand with all those who oppose that. But I ask you to stand and do the responsible thing and get your vaccination. No, um, that's a great. That's see, yeah. I most people wouldn't listen to the because there are a lot of people on your side of, of the issue who are like, no, fuck civil liberties, fuck personal health decisions. This is more important. And it's like, no, that's when it's most important. But if you respect that line, you're at least someone I think we can listen to and have common ground. You're not going to like come and threaten me being unvaccinated here on my 10 acres in the mountains. But with that, uh, we have Joey, GI Mary Jane here in studio. I don't know if you want to get on camera, dear. Uh, Wants wants me to match you joint for joint, which is never happened. Maybe if she helps. I'll help. But I, I really appreciate you going over time today. And, but what, what I, I, I hope we can focus on to, to wrap this up is, is with the broader acceptance of cannabis and the potential of psilocybin. Yeah. Uh, you know, like what we're doing here with Homefront Battle Buddies as a veterans nonprofit, we want to use veterans to bash down the last, you know, hurdles of the drug war to say, oh, we fought for your freedom. Well, fucking prove it. We we want to we want to medicate for PTSD. How we decide, not how you decide. And there's a, a, a deeper impact. And and I want to hear from your perspective. You know, when when everybody gets the benefit of of at least even just these two immediate natural medicines of cannabis and psilocybin. Uh, you know, is it fair to say psilocybin is going to go through in in five years? What cannabis just went through in 20 and what's the impact of that going to be well all right let's just assume that the civil rights situation is done like we're not arresting people anymore um we're not putting people in jail for this home cultivation is a right you know personal possession is a right however i want an option that someone's insurance will pay for and I think that option is going to require a little bit more regulation than a home cultivator. And I'm not so sure I like the idea of, you know, untested um, psilocybin just, or, you know, there's pretty soon synthetic psilocybin will become, you know, or extracted psilocybin, I should say, you know, synthetic, um, will become more common. And I mean, there's, there's going to be business interest in it, but, you know, it's a lot different than cannabis. Um, I, I I know I you know I have a personal relationship with it since I was eighteen, and mm. it's always been like an occasional thing, like once or twice a year, maybe in a rough, rough year six times in a year. <laughs> you know? But like it's not the kind of thing that I'm doing daily. I don't I've done microdosing, but I've never really tried to do a tiny microdose for thirty days. And to me, that's too altering. I'd like to go. I'd rather go deep and uh, go take a deep trip and dive uh, right and it's really the trip is difficult it's not actually that much fun i don't consider it a party um and i don't try to i don't party with it like if i throw a party i'm actually not going to be on mushrooms and uh but i would come out of it um 
feeling like I reset my mind and like I would start thinking about the world in a maybe a um, was always there. I just I just wasn't thinking the right way. Like I was thinking like what a pathway hadn't been opened up enough. It was always there, and now I'm thinking, oh, I could address this problem a little differently, and it's gonna I'll actually have a better outcome. And, and then also just working through, like, as you get older, you have the emotional things that you start to continue to gather. And I think you can work through some of that stuff, um, especially if you're with a friend in a home-based setting um, and you're doing this, like, you have you shouldn't do it alone generally. Um, but I do think people that are experienced can manage to do it alone. And I think inexperienced people should never do it alone. Um, I think at least their first time they should have supportive people around. Um, I, I'm, I, I go to a lot of festivals, so we're into a lot of harm reduction. So for now, let's just treat it as a harm reduction substance and not block out potential cottage industry. I don't want to say it has to be pharmaceutical, but I also don't want to say it can't be pharmaceutical. I'm like, I kind of want the pharmaceutical so it gets gains legitimacy and then Medicaid will pay for it. I, I found out my cousin in Hawaii just told me she's an acupuncturist. She, her biggest payee is Medicare. Because now they've figured that's out that like, a lot of, that's the thing now. They're giving acupuncture to people they were giving opioids to. And it's like, wow. And she did some acupuncture on me and I hadn't had it done in years. And I needed it for my leg and my foot and was just like, wow, this really works. And um, it really did work. It's like a tremendous relief, like almost immediately, like the next day. Uh, so I encourage people to try acupuncture before you try a pharmaceutical drug. You know, they're all, and now the government will even pay for it. For and that was illegal till the seventies. Acupuncture was totally yeah. prohibited until the seventies in America. Actually, one of the cannabis cultivators in Maryland, uh, gosh, I forget the name of them, but I walked into their dispensary and it said since 1970, whatever. And I cocked my head like how, and they're like, no, we were the first acupuncturist in Maryland. Uh, we were the first herbalist in Maryland once they lifted the prohibition on acupuncture and natural medicine that has just recently been made legalized. And considering what, from the seventies till now, it's already covered by insurance. Like we should be able to see that with cannabis. I can't disagree. I'm like, why well, aren't we there? Yet? With cannabis, so, you know, I recently, um, I had a, I had a, uh, kidney stone last summer and on the way out, pulling the stone out, it wouldn't come out. I drink your water, folks, drink your water. Um, <laughs> this is the talking disease. You don't, you're not drinking enough water. Uh, so <laughs> anyway, I, on the way out, um, this is very personal, but I'm just going to open up on it. Cause I, I really feel like I should just let it, let it go. Um, they found a tumor in my bladder, a little tiny thing looked like a balloon. And they and they cut it out. They're like, "This is a freaking tumor. It should not be in here. It's cancer." And um, they cut it out. I healed up. I feel perfectly fine. Everything's testing fine. Everything works. Uh, <laughs> thank goodness. I'm only 47. I got some more years left. They might have they might have dodged a bullet there, but we got we got to monitor and look for it and stuff like that, you know. And I could choose to ignore it. Anyway, when the meeting with the doctor, you really zeroed in on what causes bladder cancer. And smoking is a trigger for bladder cancer. And I'm a heavy cannabis smoker. So mm -hmm. I would actually like to legalize it and then really study, does it actually have some negative effects? We're not, not to put people in jail, just so we can determine- How can we moderate them yeah. through better yeah. usage and delivery mechanisms? Giving people yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. Like there might be, look, I- 
I think smoking has its advantages. It definitely does because you can regulate the dosage very well. Yes. And, yes. Um, and I think if you're not smoking with tobacco and think about the paper you're using, it can be pretty harmless because it's not a carcinogenic smoke. It's non-carcinogenic. That's already been determined versus like tobacco smoke is carcinogenic. So we don't have, a, you know, there are cancer warnings on packaging, but I think it's for the paper. I think it's for like other things. Um, but anyway, I'm a smoker and I have to take responsibility for this. Like if, if this is like on the list of triggers, then the other list of triggers are pollution, air pollution. And like a number of other living things. in DC. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things you have to like change, maybe approach like, so um, anyway, I just think like with that in mind, you know, if we're going to pay, if the government's going to pay for it, let's have like really strong efficacy. Let's have all the studies lined up. And I'm not sure cannabis is really there. I think psilocybin and MDMA are much closer to that actually um, than, than cannabis, which is more of a party or daily thing, or it's, it's not necessarily the thing the government's going to pay for, like, but they might pay for psilocybin therapy, especially if it's in a clinic with a licensed psychologist and you're there with talk therapy and follow-up therapy right. and you have a goal, like there's a goal, like you're suffering from a number of, uh, you know, situations, uh, mental health situations and, um, or you're just like, you know, it's real mild depression and you're trying to avert deep depression, you know, like, it could be not a serious issue. It could be a mild issue that you think might turn into a serious issue that you're trying to do it preventatively. Um, you know, if you have a family full of depressed yeah. people, you know, <laughs> look, um, I'm, I want to, uh, uh, you know, I am a Democrat. You're going to hear, you're hearing a more like, Hey, let's, the government is actually not the problem. It's um, you're hearing more that it's our, for me, it's, I, I, I hate to say it. I think we need our people more engaged in a, a constructive way. And, you know, less of the reactionary way. Like we need, we need people to really be constructive, to be helpful with their government. It's a, it's a fragile thing. And if too many people want to turn, overturn it, we may be regretting it. I think we may actually realize we had it pretty good. And um, so I, I can play out this, like, like I thought. About I, I, I'll make a quick, quick bridge here because I, I do, I, I'm intrigued by this potential that I hadn't considered. And I think especially with veterans, I, I usually advocate MDMA and PT and psilocybin as the two big underrated PTSD cures. Yeah. Uh, cannabis is a symptom control treatment. It is not a cure, but with the therapy, MDMA and psilocybin can be. And uh, as, as much as I object to the fundamental ethical coercive nature of government, I'm not against the argument for hey, let's steer it towards this righteousness here, which is using good medicine that displaces so much bad medicine. And there's something about, uh, I think, psilocybin, the enlightenment that goes with it, that is a transcendence of irrational fear. And so much of what drives humanity to violence, and I think to what Adam would agree are these fundamental things that drive what to him justifies a coercive government are rooted in humanity's history of violence and trauma and irrational fear and that the application of these good medicines can help us evolve past needing any of that. And this is where I think it's especially important that we pull together for the application 
of, of really all psychedelics, but even good drugs displacing bad drugs, overcoming the stranglehold of what you called better living through chemistry right now. And, and especially mushrooms, psilocybin as the natural key that unlocks so much of what I'm describing here is a really important thing. So I'm grateful for your work in that field, especially. Adam, we're over time, but- Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll let you go. I, I just wanna say- Our platform uh, is at your service. So whatever you feel you <laughs> need to discuss or cover or plug to wrap things up, take well, your time. I do, I do wanna say real quick that in DC is about to uh, hopefully get rid of the Andy Harris budget rider, which will let the local leaders here write laws regarding all drug policy, not just um, right now we're prevented by Congress from writing our own laws. We're not a state. We don't have control really of our local government. It's ultimately in the hands of Congress. So they've exercised quite a bit of control to, to block us here. Um, it's, it's very, in fact, it's unique. It's like the only issue that's really being blocked right now because they were blocking on some other issues they uh, the democrats took out but the democrats have actually left in even biden has left in his budget blocking dc from writing its own drug laws because they know the people in dc are already done with it they're ready to legalize pretty much mm -hmm. all drugs and mm -hmm. you don't want it's all about harm reduction it's not about business when and and i think <laughs> i think there is a good argument to be made that bills are being slowed down in state legislators legislatures the federal government has slowed, slow walked legalization out of trying to position their friends into powerful, wealthy, potential wealthy uh, licensed positions. Mm -hmm. It's just a, an epidemic of corruption around the writing the cannabis laws. I'm sorry no. to say it's it is if you want to rail against something, rail against the people writing the cannabis laws in places like Maryland or Pennsylvania. Yeah. Well, we already do remember we say they should all be out of a job they really i mean they're really trying to set up the winners and these are they really should be doing is setting up a cottage industry where it's legal for anyone to sell cannabis and then after six hundred dollars okay now you're officially a business you have to register but just small transactions between friends needs to be written in a law as a legal thing because we do that all the time with other substances and we don't even you know food wine whatever you're not a licensed yeah. when you say to your cousin you got to split this meal we bought for the family you know it's like but that's selling cannabis if you say we're going to split this bag of weed you know they're leaving stuff out of legalization almost like why why you have to look really carefully at these laws and be willing to say no we won't sign on to this unless there's home cultivation or no we won't sign on to this unless everybody has the right to sell cannabis so i'm leading to that direction like it's a it's also like empower people to grow it and sell it everyone and forget the big corporate model it doesn't work there's this new group of cannabis activists that are like speaking out against cannabis legalization bills and it's weird because they're you know it, I'm, I'm glad to see it because people they're, they're so sick of it that they're just like legalized or i don't even care what it looks like and, and it's so important not to get stuck in that state of mind so applaud you again well, we did get home cultivation in Virginia by freaking out, and it, it wasn't in the bill. And we freak, we put, we were said we weren't going to support it, and then they support it, and then the same thing in New York State. We formed an NYMJ group, Nick Nicholas Schiller up in New York. He moved up there, and boom, like, well, Cuomo was in trouble. He needed a win, so he put legalization forward. Knew he can get a win on that, and but he had to, had to add home cultivation, so that's part of the New York law as well. 
So we're, we got to get home cultivation everywhere. It's not worth it if it doesn't have it in there. And that kind of levels the playing field. Ultimately, it creates a cottage industry. I'll let you go, Adam. I had a lot of fun. Uh, I, I, you're really kind. Uh, I was a little nervous at first, but now I realize you're a super kind guy. And oh, you've been very gentle. Well, I appreciate the meaning of the wines. You're, 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 you're going to, you're like convincing yourself to be a libertarian and you don't even know it yet. It's beautiful. I'm a libertarian progressive. I've been calling myself that for like 10 years. Like I many of the freedom core values. I believe in free market, uh, capitalism as long, but with like, as long as it's under $600. No, 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 no. No, I think you still have to pay. I think the government, we need a government. I'm sorry. I don't want us. I hate toll roads. Smaller ones. Toll roads. I hate toll roads. I I built a road right over there. There's a road. It's called Ma Road that I built just so you could complain about Ma Road. It's Ma Road. All right, Adam. I love you, brother. I keep up the great work. I hope we can keep collaborating. Thank you. Adam and Eidinger, everybody. It's Adam at dcmj.org I hope you had as much fun with that interview as I did with that peace and love y'all choose happiness and be excellent to each other